0: it's so funny. We really had no clue how many folks were going to be here. So at like 1030, there was like six of y'all in here. And I thought, ah, this is more than I thought that we would get today. So yeah. Uh, But really, I mean, there's no other place that we would rather uh, be than to be here with y'all, our family, worshiping our savior. So pray with me um, and we'll dive into God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, We're grateful that as we come to you, uh, we don't have to question where our prayers go right now, God. They come to you because you're right here with us, Father. I pray that we would be people that value the fact that you're with us, God. I pray for those of us that are unsure about being with you or what that means or what that entails. That as we hear of Jesus and what he's done for us, that we would be reminded that he brings Nothing but good news. And I pray that that good news would cause our hearts to rejoice today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, You can turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, One of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten in my life is from a mentor of mine who told me, John, um, the sweetest word in any language is somebody's first name that when you call somebody by their first name, and it stills this sense of dignity and worth. And like, I've built many friendships just from remembering somebody's name and trying to call them by their first name. The sweetest word in any language is somebody's first name. And I've learned that to be generally true unless you have a name like mine, right? So kids can be very, very cruel. And So I'm going to put my full name up here on the screen and this is my name, right? This is the name that I had to go to middle school with, Chimdindu John Anwachekwa. Chimdindu John Anwachekwa. And what I found out was it was really hard with this name, uh, and I couldn't really tell if my mom and dad gave me this name to um, torture me or to <laughs> tutor me to ensure that when I learned how to write my name that I learned half of the alphabet, right? Um, <laughs> We're just trying to get me ahead in advance, but this name kind of kept me as an, as an outsider at times. There were times where I hated my name, right? The first day of school when they're getting ready to call roll and, you know, I see the sweat start to drip from their head and I raise my hand, and I say, that's me, right? <laughs> you start to lose faith in people's ability to phonetically pronounce things. Now as a grown man, rental cars too. Like I go and they say, what's your name? And I say, O-N-W-W-U. And I just start to like spell, right? I hated my name until I found out what my name meant. And so what I'm going to do for a bit is I'm just going to give y'all, I'm going to bring y'all into the story of my family um, with my mom. After five miscarriages, and the doctors told her that she would never have any kids. In 81, she had her first son. And they named him Ebu Betubu, which means miracle of God. Right? Then as time goes on, the, in the next 15 months, she has another son. And my mom and my dad go from one to two, and they name him Chinedum Chibuike which means God is my guide and God is my strength. For those of y'all that have transitioned from one kids to two, you're like, God really needs to be my strength. And So, you know, I come from a culture where names were like in hopes of what God would do and praise of what God has done. And in the 32 years of life that my brother lived on this earth, he was led by God in a unique way and God gave him strength. And then their third son comes out. And they look at this beautiful young boy, and they name him Chimdindu uh, John, which means my God is alive and God is gracious. Then my sister comes out, and they name her Kelechuku, which means praise God. And then after four kids in five years, they're like, we're done, right? Praise God. (laughs) And then three years later, my sister comes out, and they name her which means gift of God. I was at lunch with a friend this past week, and he said, man, my kids are getting to the age where they're starting to act like jerks, and I continually have to remind myself, children are a gift, kids are a gift. And after four kids in five years, I think that my mom and dad gave her this name because they're like, kids are a gift, kids are a gift. All of that to, to say, like, those were just names until you heard what they meant, and then you were invited into a story. Beautiful thing is, right, y'all may have heard that and been inspired and engaged and you feel like you know a little more about me and the background that I've come from. Some of y'all that may be dealing with a wandering child, uh, unable to have kids, that may have provided some sort of encouragement for you. But at the end of the day, me telling you about my story and my family, that really doesn't change your world, it really doesn't change you. It's good insight, it's fun, it makes for a good time for us to talk, but it lacks something that can really change our worlds as a whole. And so in Matthew 1, I want to spend our time, and I want to invite you into a story. And we're going to talk about one name that actually does change everything. And by knowing what this name means and embracing what's in, in this name, it really has the potential to change everything about you. So if you would, Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what takes place is this. After a genealogy, right, all of these names that are very hard to pronounce were introduced to Joseph and Mary. And so just pause with me for a bit as I humanize this story. Joseph gets to a point where he sees Mary's getting ready to have a kid and he knows that that kid's not his. And so what he says is, man, I'm going to divorce her quietly to protect her reputation. I'm going to do it quickly to protect mine. But he's going to do it certainly. And so, listen, The Christmas story is not this story that just comes in the heels of good times. Like if you really think about what goes on, these are two people that are getting ready to get married, that are getting ready to start a future, that are preparing for a life together. And as a result of what goes on, there's this pending, broken engagement. And what comes with a broken engagement? Heartache, depression maybe, embarrassment, hopes for the future, crumbling. And this is the backdrop that God speaks. It's in the midst of all of this that the God who created the world sees this pain that's getting ready to take place. And he does have a plan for the whole world which we're going to talk to. But he does have a specific word for this couple. It's against this backdrop that God speaks in the midst of certain tragedy, and he gives them a name. And this name is not just meant to be a hope of what God would do or praise of what he's done, but this name is meant to be both a help and a promise. Matthew one23 We're just going to look at this one verse. Um, and it says this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then you have this little parenthesis at the end, and it says this, Which means God with us. That's taken from Isaiah 7, and if you go back to Isaiah seven fourteen, there is no interpretation of what that means. Right here, as Matthew is writing this gospel account of Jesus getting ready to come into the world, he gives us this name, and the very next thing that he does is he tells us what that means. Because definitions invite, they invite you in. Foreign names are, are like inside jokes, right? There's things that are said, and you have a few folks that can. Engage with what goes on, but unless somebody comes and gives a definition and tells you what it means or what you missed out on, you're an outsider. But as He provides this name, the definition is here in the text in order to invite us. And so, the main point that I'm going to make here today that we see with this text as we examine this name is just this Jesus is our standing invitation. To join God's family. Jesus came to be our standing invitation to join God's family. There's gonna be three points, and the three points are just God with us. Right? The very first point, God with us. What does it mean that Jesus Himself is God? The very first thing we have to think of when we're reminded of God or when we see God is that in creation we're brought to the fact that God is other than we are. The Bible is very clear and it makes a distinction in between God and man. God is God and man is man. They are not equals. They are not peers. And the Bible goes to great lengths to remind us there is a distinction in between God and man. Who is God? God is creator. God made this whole earth from nothing with no help. Who are we? We're created. We were made by God. We long for him. God's God's holy. God is perfect. He is complete. There is never a time that God looks at himself and is disappointed with the way that he responded or what he's done. You and I are not that way. We're flawed. We constantly look at ourselves and pick at ourselves and try to do things. We are a group of people that are pursuing this perfection on and on and on. Who is God? God is self-sufficient. God is in need of absolutely nothing. God didn't create the world because he was lonely or bored. God existed in eternity, in a perfect relationship with, 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 with in himself. There's nothing that he wanted. There's nothing that he longed for. There is no Christmas list for him. There's nothing that you can get him that would complete things for him. There is no new friend that God can add that makes him feel more full than uh, prior to that point. God is completely self-sufficient. Who are we? what are we? I think we're self-deficient. We constantly look for things. We're constantly in search of new friends, better friends. We're constantly in search of something to fulfill our time. Where year after year we find ourselves at this time of the year filling our Christmas list with everything that we think that we need to give us fulfillment, and then seven days later on New Year's, we're reminded of how discontent we are with our life and how we we want more. Who is God? God is limitless. He's everywhere at all times. There's nobody that can stab him in the back because he's always facing forward. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, which means this. He's not scared of anything. He never makes a decision based on fear. Do you know what that would be like, to not be scared of anything? God is all-knowing. There's nobody that surprises him. There's no new information or knowledge that he wants. Who are we? We're in one place at one time, and we constantly fear missing out on something. Who are we? We're not all powerful. We're weak. We're driven at times by fear. Who are we? We're not all knowing. We're uninformed. We're misinformed, constantly trying to sift our way to truth. And I say all of that to say this: God is absolutely settled, secure in who He is. Man, we're always searching. Everybody is searching for something. And so here's what I want you to see. This starts off with. God, this good news that God is with us, it helps us see this, that as people, we we, and everybody that you know is not searching for something. Everybody's searching for someone. Because all of the things that we want find their root in God himself. So it's not that we want things, it's that we want God. We're not searching, trying to acquire something. We're searching so that we can have access to someone. When you got up this morning and you wanted to know the weather, do you know what you didn't do? You didn't say, I want to know the weather. I wish that I would have gone to school and become a meteorologist. Because then, if I was that, then I could know how cold it is. I was like, no, 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 you have access to somebody that has that, so you didn't go to school to become that. If you get in trouble with the law, you don't say, man, I wish I would have gone to law school so that I would have known how to get this. No, if you have money or the ability to, do you know what you do? You get access to someone. In our lives, there's so many times where we find ourselves searching for something, disappointed because we don't get all that what we hoped for, and we think that the problem was that we missed out on something, and that's not it at all. The real problem, the real thing that we're trying, we're all searching for someone, and the good news about Christmas is that that someone was Jesus. Jesus was God who came to be with us to provide us access to this great God. If you find yourself disappointed with failed attempts, if you find yourself frustrated that life hasn't panned out to be all that you hoped it would be, I want you to know the problem is not that you're missing something. It may be that you're missing someone. Jesus is God with us. He's that someone that came. To us, The next point is this. He's not just God with us, but he's God with us. That word with in and of itself carries this whole spectrum of relationship, right? I could say right now, I've had lunch with some of the most famous people. I've had lunch with Maya Moore, with Shaq, with Ernie Johnson, with Andre 3000, with... Carl Thomas at a California pizza pizza kitchen here with and on and on and on. And I could impress you with all the folks that I ate with until I tell you, well, I feel like I ate with them, but they may not have felt the same way. Um, We were actually just all in the same room and I count that as (laughs) as with. But they would say, no, 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 no. With with is more than just presence. With is about friendship. And here's the beauty of Christmas and what we rejoice in day in and day out is that this great God, Jesus, is referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. And do you know what that does? That flies in the face of the story of your life and my life. And in the test, it, it flies in the face of the testimony of the Bible thus far. Do you know what the testimony of the Bible thus far is? It's man Pursuing fulfillment and it's man without God, and it's man against God. Think of it in, in your own life right now. How many times in this just this past year have you found yourself in a place? Where you've ignored the advances of God to do something as basic to relationship and Christianity as to pray. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying how many times have you failed to do the right thing or did wrong. How many times have you failed and ignored the advancements of God to pray? What was it that kept you from praying? Nothing more than the preference of our hearts for something else. Feeling like that there was something other than relationship with God that I need at this time to fulfill me. A testimony of our own lives is that we don't see God for who he is and therefore we don't come to him. And you may be here in the room and say, well, that's not me. I always pray when I hear the advances of God. My life is one where I constantly invite God in And I want to let you know, even if that is you, there is a problem. The testimony of the Bible is that even when people invite God in, because God is holy and perfect and we are not, do you know what you're inviting? Judgment. Moses in Exodus 33 says, God, I want to see you. I want to be face to face with you. And what God says is this. No, no, no. Listen, no man can look me face to face and live. Uh, when my wife and I moved to the West End, about a year ago, we just moved into our house. We had been there about three days, and it's like 1 a.m., and we hear some, somebody banging on our front door, banging really, really hard. So we go, and we look out, and it's cops. Right? It's these two cops just banging on our front door. They're saying... We got a warrant. I look to Sean. I'm like, Sean, you got a warrant? She's like, Nah, you. And I'm like, Nah, I don't have any warrants. No, I don't think I have any. And so they're like, We have a, a, war, war, a warrant for Amy something. And I'm like, She's not in here. I look at Sean, and she's like, There better not be no Amy in here. I'm like, Chandra, there's not chill. You need to. It's me and you against them. So we unlock the door and we invite them in and say, hey, y'all can come and search. Right. And so they come into the house and they they uh, unlock our back door. And there's this big six, five dude standing in the back of the house. Yeah. Crazy. Right. They had it all planned out in case somebody tried to run. So they they come in and, and look. I was okay to invite them in because I knew that there wasn't anybody hiding. I didn't have anything to regret. So, of course, I could invite folks in whose job is to get justice. The testimony of the Bible and our own lives is that on the inside, you and I know that we're not okay. We know that we've done things that are wrong. We know that we've constantly chosen the wrong thing. So for us to invite a holy God to come in and to inspect, we're inviting judgment. So for those of us that feel like, no, 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 no. I'm always trying to invite God in, I want you to know that the Bible really doesn't like, that's not good news for a holy God to come in To people that are sinful because he has to enact justice. And this is the beauty of Christmas. Matthew Henry says this. In creation, we see that God is above us. In the law, we see that God is against us. But in the gospel, in the person of Jesus, we see that God is with us. Jesus came and he was born and he lived this life so that he could be with us in the sense that he's by our side. The life that he lived, regardless of where you come from, there's something in the life of Jesus for you to look at and to say, he's with me in that. Jesus is with us in our sorrows. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood by family as a result of trying to obey the will of God. Jesus is with us in our joys. In John 2, the first miracle that he did was he comes to a wedding that's getting ready to wind down because they ran out of wine, and he comes and he infuses joy. Jesus is with us in our sadness. He knows what it's like to cry at the funeral of a best friend. He knows what it's like to be driven to a a depression of sorts after hearing about the unjust death of his older cousin by the government. Jesus is with us and by our side. He knows what it is to be homeless to have to depend on the kindness of people for food and drink. Jesus is with us. He knows what it is to be lonely, to spend his life, and the 12 closest people to him misunderstand him, and they don't really get him until after he's gone. Jesus knows what it is to be betrayed by somebody that he spent three Three years with day in and day out for that to be the one that turns him over to his death. You find yourself here. Maybe the product of unfaithfulness by a spouse. Divorce, abandoned by family and loved ones. Jesus knows what that's like. He's with us in all of those deaths. Tim Keller said, Jesus even knows, and he's with all of those in the room, that right now you feel abandoned by God. That you feel like you pray and God doesn't hear you and he wants nothing to do with you. That on the cross, Jesus felt that very much so. He knows what it's like to pray and to ask God if there's another way out and for God to say no. anybody that feels alone or by themselves, he won't get me. Jesus is with us. This is why the Bible can call him a wonderful counselor. I remember through 2015 and the start of this year when I felt myself just in the lulls of depression, I went to a counselor. And the counselor started off his time and he told me how he was a pastor of a church in the 80s. And his wife left him for a guy that was in the church. The church folded and crumbled. And he found himself at just this low place. And he talked about how God brought him up out of that low place. And so as I sat and I talked with this guy face to face, I looked in the eyes of a pastor who I felt like, you know what it's like to be a pastor and the unique struggles that are there. So you can counsel me in a way that folks can't. Jesus is God, but he's God with us. Wherever you are, he's been there to a greater degree. He's not just with us in that he stands by our side. But he's with us as both our shield and shelter. He's with us in the way that a bulletproof vest is with a cop that gets shot at. He's with us in the way that a parent is with their child shielding them from danger. Maybe you found yourselves here today and you feel like that you've run from God. That this past year for you has been one where you felt like a runaway. That you just tried to get as far from God as you could. The beauty of the gospel is that God runs after runaways. And it's better news than that. Because if somebody just runs after a runaway, then once they get them, they still got to go to all these great lengths and to bring them home. But what if you ran from home, you ran from paradise, journeyed thousands of miles into these slums, only to get to the slums and to find out that your parents sold their house where they were and bought a house in those slums, so that for you to come home, you don't have to go back as far as you came, all you have to do is walk in the front door that's right there. That's the gospel. That's why John 1 says, Jesus Christ came in the flesh and he dwelt, or that word is, and he tabernacled with us. The tabernacle in Exodus was the portable home of God. It was the place that wherever the people of God went and they stopped, they'd set up shop there. This is what Jesus did. He came and he set up shop so that you and I don't have to think that in order to be a part of his family, we have to make up for lost time. We don't have to make up for lost time. We just have to walk into the front door that's there. Jesus is not just God with us, but he's God with us. Lastly, Jesus is God with us. Here's the thing about that word us. That word us is the most inclusive word in any language. As soon as you use that word us, it takes you from being an outsider to an insider. And the beauty of him saying, no, no, no. Jesus is our Emmanuel. He's God with us. Is that this is good for anyone. Anyone in the sense of, Uh, You look at the genealogies and what you find out is that Jesus' ancestry is littered with people that were failures. Jacob was a trickster. David lived the life of a soap opera villain at times. And what takes place is in this, we see that in God trying to bring about his plan, God doesn't choose the best, nor does he exclude the worst. And if he does that in Jesus's ancestry, he's going to be consistent in anybody that would be one of Jesus's descendants. If your life is in shambles or you feel like it's a train wreck and you're searching for something, I want you to know you're searching for someone. That someone is no longer against you because of what Jesus did, not just in his life, but in his death on the cross to take that bullet of God's wrath from you so that now you can use that word that God, in fact, is with us. And when you say that us, you're included. That word us is an invitation. When you use that word us, It's fine for you to use that word so long as somebody doesn't come in and rebut it, right? So uh, at 2.30 today, the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to play the Warriors. Pastor Richard tends to refer to the Cleveland Cavs as us. And what I say is, Richard, have you ever even been to Cleveland? No, I haven't. Were you a fan of them five years ago? No, I was wasn't. Well, Richard, you can't use us. And so what I do, he tries to get inside, but I say, no, 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 no. That's not for you. Come back out with the rest of us. (laughs) The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, if he's the one that we look to to save us from our sins, then God says he's free to be your Emmanuel. God invites us to use that word, us. It's an invitation, and, not, and it's not just an invitation for anyone. It is an invitation for everyone. An infinite God has no constraints. An infinite God always has another seat at the table. An infinite God always has the resources to bring somebody else into the family. An infinite God always has a spare bedroom. There's nobody that should feel like they have to stay on the outside. There's no constraints. Bruce Weich, as we read this text and studied, he said, of Jesus. There was only one perfect us, and it wasn't us. It was Jesus. His death invites us in to be a part of God's family. For all of those that would call on his name, for all of those that would say, "I don't have to make up for lost time. I just want to turn back and find my way home." The beauty about an um Nipotent God, the beauty about a God that is omnipresent, who's all places at one time, means this that everybody, everyone is one prayer away from relationship with God. Wherever you are, regardless of how low that you've gone, regardless of what depths that you feel like you find yourself in, Jesus, this great God, left paradise. And bought a home right where you are. So that all of us, if we would just turn and repent of our sins and put our trust in him, we could be with him. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God's standing invitation to join into his family. And so I want us to know this as you leave. If God has provided the invitation, let's all of us come to him without any reservation. There's nothing that has to keep us away, right? The reason why I use the word standing invitation is not just that it's open, but the invitation that Jesus provided for us. He's standing and he's victorious. He took on sin and death, the things that give us pause when it comes to engaging or embracing God. Jesus took those head on, and although death puts everybody else on its back, it didn't put him on his back. He rose from the grave, and not just did, uh, did he rise from the grave, but in Luke chapter 24, after rising from the grave, he goes on a seven-mile walk to prove that he's not phased by it. This is the great God that we serve. This is the good news. That even after he raises, he's walking enlightening people on what he did in his life. And for thousands of years, still, we're here in this room being reminded of the great things that God has done for us. And this powerful God came in a way that anybody could engage with. His birth was not like the birth of Blue Ivy Carter, where a hospital wing is blocked off and only certain folks could get through. Everybody could get through. His birth wasn't like the birth of Blanket. Jackson, you remember Blanket, right? Yeah, hey, uh, Michael Jackson lifts it up, but he doesn't want anybody to see his face. No, his birth was in a manger. And the people that came to him were strangers. They didn't know the family. They didn't have any inroads. They, there was no way for, for them to get in. And Jesus invites both sinners and strangers alike to come and be with him. So, are you here and you feel like I failed to, to perform? I'm reserved in the way that I come to him because I didn't do right? I want you to know there's somebody's performance that matters when it comes to relationship with God, and it's not yours. It's his, and he performed perfectly. Do you feel like, well, I can't come back? I've spent so long running. I want you to know he's run after, and the incarnation is meant to say that he didn't just run after you. He bought a house in the slums so that you would be reminded that home is actually closer than I thought. Are you discouraged and you feel like, well, I know I'm one of his, but when it comes to praying and asking God for big things and for big change, I feel tentative because I know I have, I haven't lived right or performed after I put my trust in him like he would have me to do, I want you to know that this God is omniscient and he knew that you would mess up. The same way that he knew that Peter would betray him, the same way that he knew that everybody that would be a part of his family would fail. If you're discouraged and feel like I have to lay back from the things that I ask of God because I have not performed, I want you to know he knew that you would be there. Don't let that hold you back. Maybe you're here and you're encouraged. And what I don't want you to do is to let the invitation into family stop with you as if that is the source of your joy just that I'm brought in. In 1 John 1, 3, and 4, John John says this, that which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And look at where His joy lies. And these things we write to you so that our joy may be complete. There's a unique joy that comes from extending the invitation into family that in some ways is better than receiving the actual invitation. This is a unique joy that comes in seeing somebody that's far off and knowing that God has used what he did in your life and for you to bring folks in. And this is the goal. This is the aim that what takes place on Christmas here with these folks in this room would extend and God's family would be full. And all of us are invited to be a part of that by realizing that the sweetest word in any language is not your first name it's his jesus is god with us jesus is god with us and jesus is god with us let's pray Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the good news that is is not just good news on this day, but every day, Father. I pray that we would be those that give our lives to inviting people into your family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.